Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about living a graceful life. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to download our app. Our app is available for Android and iOS, and it is a great way to get the content that we put out as a church. You can listen to our sermons, like the one you're listening to now, but you can also watch all of our videos, sermons, and otherwise. It's an easy way to know about all of our events, and you can even watch our services live on our app. And so I hope that you'll consider downloading it if you're consuming our content anyway. You can get it by going to wilsonville.church app. That's wilsonville.church app. Or you can search Creekside Bible Church in the App Store or the Google Play Store, and you'll find it there too. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning again. I am Chad, the lead pastor of this church. I'm glad that you have come to be with us today. Uh, I'm excited to share with you from the Bible and this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to talk about. Uh, we're talking about living gracefully in the midst of pressure. And last week I, I kind of set that up to say that a gospel life is a graceful life. A life driven by the belief that Jesus came to earth. He died for our sins. He rose again so that we might have victory and eternal life and all of those things. If you live in light of that, a life driven by that will be a life that is lived gracefully even when when pressure mounts. And, and today I want to, to add to that uh, and, and maybe just continue that. And, and I want to do that by saying that I think that one of the key components to a gospel life, and you probably already know this, you could have guessed this, is, is this word that we use a lot in Christian circles. It's, it's faith. And, and I believe that living a gospel life in large part comes down to the strength of your faith. Now, we don't connect all the time uh, gracefulness and strength. Like, we don't put them together. But I was thinking about ballet and and this whole series, you know, you saw the video, it's kind of been driven by this idea of what does this look like in our life to face intense pressure, but then to do it in a beautiful way, a graceful way, a way that is, you know, that, that is artistic feeling, like it's not normal, it's, it's, it's something beyond normal, it's beautiful and graceful, and, and I was thinking about like ballet and how much strength that, that takes, and then that led me to think about uh, ice skating and, and couples ice skating when, when there's two of them, right, and to think about the man who's picking up the woman with one hand and just holding him in the air while he glides across, across the ice or when he does it across the stage in ballet or whatever, there's an incredible uh, amount of strength that that takes. You would not want to see me try to do that with some precious ballet girl. And it doesn't matter if she weighs, you know, 95 pounds or whatever. I'm dropping her. Like, it, I have a bad shoulder. Like, I'm not strong enough. It's not going to work. And, and I've never done ballet. And I've only ice skated in Sun River. And it wasn't very beautiful. Uh, but I, I was thinking about this concept of, like, the importance of strength when it comes to living gracefully or to doing something gracefully. 
And uh, I've been doing pull-ups pretty consistently. This is my pull-up bar right from home. And I'd like you to just take notice that that handle's wearing out, which means I've actually been using it. I feel good about that. I'm looking forward to when I have to buy a new one. But uh, I've been doing pull-ups pretty consistently since middle of December. And uh, you probably noticed in my short sleeve shirt last week. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say things sometimes. Um, but... But when I started, uh, pull-ups are not very natural to me. I have fairly long arms for uh, my height. Uh, it's a long ways from straight arm to, you know, my chin or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm not naturally strong, um, uh, and I, I just don't do it very well. And so back in December, I mean, I was in decent shape or whatever when I started doing pull-ups, but... You know, getting like two or three of them is pretty difficult. And I'm not going to call you by name, but I would imagine that if some of you tried to do a pull-up right now, if we hung this up, and you, you got to the bottom of this, and we let you hang there, if you could hang there, and you started a pull, it would look anything but graceful, right? You'd be kicking your legs and swinging around and trying to do anything to get your chin uh, above the bar. But I can tell you, as a man who could probably give you 15 right now, eh? thumbs up, yeah, Thank you. Keep it coming. No, I, that it looks a lot more graceful for me, but I do a lot of my pull-ups within the confines of, of my P90X workouts, if you know the P90X thing. And I feel pretty good about, you know, maybe being able to give you 15 straight away right now. But the guys on there that, that are, are showing you how to do them, it's incredible to watch these men do pull-ups. And th they do this, this thing at the end of a workout. So, like, I mean, you've done, you've done 80 pull-ups or something, right, in a workout. And these guys have done a lot more. They're doing, like, sets of 20 every time. And you get to the end, and they're doing the burnout. And they're, in this one half-hour video, they're like, let's do levers. And so they do this thing that I don't think I could do one of, where, where they do a pull-up, but they take their legs out in front of them, and they kind of rock them so they're, they're like almost parallel and then they go down and do it again and I'm telling you I know you don't think of pull-ups as beautiful but it's like kind of incredible to watch it's very graceful it's very fluid it's it's amazing and, and I think that when it comes to living a graceful life handling pressure in a way that is beautiful it, it's really easy to think about you know what something we'll talk about coming up hope and love but but we don't oftentimes think about the strength that it takes to live a graceful life under pressure. And this morning, we're going to talk about that strength. And, and specifically, as I mentioned at the very beginning, we're going to talk about the importance of having a strong faith. Because without a strong faith, you're just, you're just going to be struggling to get your chin above the bar uh, and let me just let me just say before I jump in and use this word faith a lot. I think that that as we look at this passage of scripture in the book of First Thessalonians, or this passage in the book of First Thessalonians, that when when Paul uses the word faith, it's probably not just maybe what we think of because usually when we think of faith, we just mean like I believe in the story of Christianity. I just hold to it to be true. But I think that Paul is using faith in a way that is, includes that, but is much more comprehensive than that. I think he's, he's saying, when he says faith, he's talking about the gospel being true, the story of Jesus dying and rising again that I've already mentioned to you this morning. But I also think that he's talking about a faith in, in God's provision and help when we're facing things that are difficult, that God is going to come through for you. 
Matt, in, in his communion presentation last week, talked about the, the idea of, of how we can handle pressure when, when we know the outcome is sure, that we know we're going to win. And faith is not just believing the gospel to be true, it's also trusting that the God of that gospel is going to come through for us. And then I think that faith also in these passages is a reference to their obedience to God. Because if we believe the gospel to be true and we trust that God is going to come through for us, then it naturally flows that we would be obedient to him, not giving in to what we feel like doing, not doing the things that seem to make sense if they're over and above the will that God has for our lives. And so, and so I think faith is trusting the story of Christianity. I think that faith is trusting that God will help you. And I think that faith is trusting that you should be and you are being obedient to God, even if it seems like it's counterintuitive. And here's, here's just the, before we look at the verse, before we look at the verses, I, I think that the proposition is really important just to have out there. It's this, the strength of your faith will determine the gracefulness of your life when pressure mounts. Now here's the deal, our, our passage, this passage that we're gonna look at, man, I'd go home and read it again after I preach on it because it's like really rich in its detail, but I'm gonna focus on one thing and, and really one thing only this morning and that is, that's faith. Because five times in 10 verses, when Paul is talking to this church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, and, and they are facing intense pressure, intense persecution because of their faith, intense pressure to turn away from their faith, five times in 10 verses, Paul returns, focuses on their, their faith. And this morning, I think we need to Focus on our faith. And this is how it, this is how it begins in 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be less, left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, notice this next part, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. At the end of chapter 2, Paul's basically said to them, look, I've longed to come see you people in, this, in your church. And Paul and the other two guys mentioned in this passage of Scripture, they are the missionaries who started this church. This is a church that they you know, got going, got off the ground, pastored it for a little while, and they've been taken away, and they've desperately wanted to come back and check in on these people, but they've been unable to. In fact, Paul says that one of the reasons they've been unable to is because Satan, literally he says this, Satan has prevented them from doing so. And so they can't take it any longer, and so they're like, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to stay here. Timothy, you're going to go. And there's two reasons that they send Timothy. There's two reasons that they think this is really important. Both of them are connected to faith. But in verse 1, we see the first. And it's stated explicitly, Timothy was sent to strengthen and encourage their faith. Uh, the first thing you need to recognize about getting stronger in your faith is that sometimes it's a product of other people's work in your life. If you think that you can be a Christian and not be in relationship with other Christians, not have other leaders to help you along in your journey, then you are sorely mistaken. We need other people to grow in our own personal faith. We will stay stagnant. We will become weaker if we don't have other people to strengthen 
our faith. I don't know where this story is from, and it's just popping into my head now, or else I would have looked it up for you, but there's a story, some famous pastor hundreds of years ago, who recognized that somebody in their church had stopped coming to church, and he showed up at the guy's door, and 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 he said, hey, we've missed you, and the guy, the guy said, hey, you know, I just, I think I can you know, do the Christian thing by myself. And the pastor went to the fireplace and he grabbed a coal out of the fire and he sat it on the mantle and he sat there with the man without saying a word until the piece of coal slowly lost its heat. And then the man, as the story has been told to me, understood the message that you will become cooler, you will become weaker if you don't have other people to help strengthen you. And without saying a word, the pastor looked at the man and the man said, I'll see you Sunday. I wish it was that easy. I'm sure there was more to that story. But the point is that without others, our faith will become weaker. We need other people if we're going to have a strong faith. We need other people if we are going to live a graceful life. One of the great lies of Satan, one of the things that Satan loves to do to us is separate us from others. We do it like because we think, well, they'll never understand or I'm too bad or I haven't been to church in long enough and, and so people are going to kind of look down at me or, you know, I have this problem in my life. But Satan is whispering here, isolate yourself. And God's looking down and recognizing that you need others if you're going to be strong in your faith and the strength of your faith will determine the gracefulness of your life. He also says here that Timothy is sent to encourage them in their faith. We have these two great words, right? Strengthen and encourage. And this is what we need other people for. We need other people to strengthen our faith. And we need other people to encourage us in our faith. It is really hard to continue to try to live gracefully if somebody isn't coming alongside of us and, and saying, Hey, you got this. You can get it done. It's going to be okay. I'm here for you, I'll pray for you, all of those things. We need people to strengthen our faith, faith, but we also need people to comfort us in our faith if we are going to live gracefully. And then in verse three, Paul says this neat thing. He says that he sent Timothy to strengthen them and encourage them in their faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. That word trial right there is, is the word that I brought up last week, thlipsis, which is the Greek word that usually means pressure. These people are, are in a place, they're facing enough pressure that Paul is worried that they would be unsettled by these pressures. This word unsettled, really important Greek word too. It's a word that, that is usually used of a dog's tail wagging. I bet you didn't see that coming, did you? Uh, but the idea is that we would be moved by the pressures of life and not by the God that we want to serve. Isn't that what pressure does? Isn't that the opposite of living gracefully? The pressure mounts and then we are moved along, not by what God would have us do, but by the pressures that we face. Paul says, look, we sent Timothy back to you because we didn't want you to be moved by the pressure. We want you to be moved by the Spirit of God, by God. I think it's important to stop and ask a question because for me, this is a convicting question. Are the pressures of life moving you away from living how God wants you to live? Let me ask it in a different way. This way was more convicting for me. If all the things that put pressure on you were taken away, 
Would there be any difference in your relationship with God? I think the answer for most of us is yes, right? And I know that because people say, well, if I had more time, well, that's a pressure, that's a time pressure, right? If I had more time, then I'd do this thing that God wanted me to do. If I had more money, then I would do this thing that God wanted me to do. If it wasn't for this thing that I'm dealing with, then I would do the thing that God wanted me to do. You are being unsettled. You are being moved by the pressure. And it's preventing you from being moved in the way that God wants you to be moved. Paul says, look, your your faith needs to be encouraged and strengthened because if it's not encouraged and strengthened, then you will be moved by the pressures of life. And then in the second half of verse 3 and verse 4, he says, for you know quite well that we are, this is a crazy word, destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. These people were destined for the pressure that they faced. You can read 2 Thessalonians. There's another book to these, this same group, the same church. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you can read about some of the pressures that these people were destined to face. And so surely they had specific pressures because of the work that God was doing in their lives, because of the place that they take in history. They were destined for these in a very specific way. But, but they were also destined for trials just because they were Christians. 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a different word than pressure, but it's the same type of pressure that these people were facing. The reality is if you are striving to live for God, then pressure will eventually mount against you. You will face opposition. You will face persecution. That's just the way it is. And we know that as humans, we're destined for pressure. It's just a part of life. We face pressure from the time we're little, right? I mean, there's pressure put upon us, whether it's by our parents or by our schools or by our friends or whatever. We face pressure. We would like to think that we would live gracefully, that we would live for God, that we would no longer be unsettled when the pressure goes away. But the reality is that all of us will face pressure. The only question is how will we handle that pressure and what will it do to the way in which we live our lives? And for Paul, he's saying, look... I want you to keep living well. I want you to keep living gracefully. But it requires a strong faith. So strengthen your faith. In verse 5, he continues. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that, your, that our labors might have been in vain. This is the ultimate problem with pressure is that Satan uses the pressures of our lives in order to turn us away from the faith. He, he the tempter in this passage, that's what Satan's called, uses pressure to tempt us, to tempt us away from serving God, to tempt us away from serving Jesus, to tempt us away from a godly life, from a graceful life. Perhaps at the beginning of you know, this series, you thought, well, who cares? Like, if I make a couple mistakes when the pressure rises, if I don't quite live for God, but 
What Paul says here is so important. Like, every pressure that you face, you cannot directly say, Satan gave me that. Like, this is some kind of satanic attack. But every pressure you face can be the way in which God, pull, or excuse me, in which Satan pulls you away from the faith that you currently have if you're a Christian. I would say that there's a lot of people who never become Christians because of the normal pressures of life. I know. I know people who think, well, I'll do that Jesus thing later. Right now I have all these other things that I want to accomplish, all these other pressures that I need to face and deal with, and so they don't give their lives to Jesus. We can just look at pressure and go, well, that's a normal part of life, and it is a normal part of life, but I think that if we're going to live gracefully, then we need to recognize that every pressure we face is an opportunity for Satan to attack. I said this, I think, last week, but you got to think that most corporate crime is not done by totally evil people, right? It's done by people who faced intense pressure to, to appease the shareholders or to appease the bosses or whatever. And so out of that pressure, they did something they do things that they never thought possible. Pressure builds and Satan uses it to attack our faith. Now just for a brief moment, just for a second, just, just put two in your head. I just pulled that number out of thin air, but just think of two things that are putting pressure on you right now. Ready, go. I don't think you need too much time to come up with that, right? It's not a really hard question. Now, I want you to leave here today when we leave, remembering that those things that you're facing are opportunities for Satan to attack your faith, which means, this is what's so important, this means that we need to be strengthening our faith. And especially as pressure mounts, we should be fighting, striving, struggling, working, to increase the strength of our faith because if we don't, then eventually our faith will crumble underneath the weight of the pressure as Satan pushes it down harder upon us. Pressure is spiritual, whether it's a spiritual thing making the pressure or not. Pressure is an opportunity for the devil to move you away from the gospel and thus a graceful life. And so we must be people who are strengthening, who are working to strengthen our faith. And then in verses 6 through 8, it says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you have always have, you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith, for now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul's facing pressure too. That word trials that I just read to you, it's the same word. Paul is like, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with pressure too. Intense pressure. But it brings me great joy. The thing that makes me feel comforted in the midst of my own pressure is knowing that your faith still stands. That your faith was strong enough to deal with the pressure that you are facing. I love that. I just, I would, 
I'd like to be more like that, where like I could look at somebody else's faith and and even if I'm facing, you know, a horrible day or whatever, I can see the way that other people are living gracefully in the midst of that pressure because of the strength of their faith. And I would, I would find joy. I'd find comfort. I'd find hope in that. I think we're just far too self-centered. And we're that way maybe because we're Americans and we kind of are raised to be that way. But it's really transferred into the church culture where we're really just focused on ourselves and our spiritual lives but Paul from a different city is like hey I heard the great report about your faith in the midst of my pressure it caused me to celebrate to have joy to be excited I think one of the reasons in fact that we see so many people with weak faith in American Christianity today that so many of our faiths are, are weaker than they should be, is because of this same mentality. We make it about us and only us. And you go, well, that's fine for me. Yeah, but you're not strengthening somebody else's faith. If there is nobody in your life whose faith, excuse me, whose faith you are celebrating, who, whose faith makes you joyful, whose faith brings you comfort in the midst of your pressure, then perhaps you're not doing a very good job of strengthening somebody else's faith or anybody else's faith. We need others, we need others to strengthen and encourage us in our faith if we're going to have a strong faith. But we also need to be people that are strengthening and encouraging others in their faith if others are going to have a strong faith. I think another great lie of Satan is that he tells us we don't matter, we don't have anything to offer, we can't contribute to another person's spiritual life, that it's arrogance or vanity or pride or whatever if we're going to contribute and help strengthen somebody else's faith. But the whole Christian model was founded on Jesus and then set up to be a faith, a religion, where we, we encourage and strengthen one another in each other's faiths. I'm telling you, like you're, you're just, you're doing it wrong. If there's nobody in your life who you just be pumped up, even on your hardest day, to hear that they are standing firm in the Lord. And this leads me to this other phrase, standing firm. This is what a strong faith does for us. It allows for the pressure to mount, getting pushed down on us, and we continue to be unmoved by it. When our faith is strengthened, it creates in us a resilience, that allows us to continue on the same path, to stand strong, to stand firm, to keep living the way God wants us to, to keep doing the things that we ought to do despite it. The question is like, how strong is your faith? And maybe you can see this in this way. Like, does one bad day alter your spiritual life, the way that you live? Perhaps your faith isn't very strong if that's true. Maybe it's say, six months. You have six months of bad days and you, your faith is altered by that and you stop living for God or whatever. And some of you are probably facing that. But the hope is that we would work to strengthen our own faith, to have God strengthen our faith. In such a way that if the pressure remains for year after year after year after year after year after year, we're not moved by it. We just continue to stand firm. 
saying, I will serve God in the way that God has asked me to serve him no matter what this world brings upon me. I just don't think we have that strong of faith. Paul continues the next two verses. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul's joy is connected to their faith and their embrace of the gospel story. I'm sorry for all the Greek words today. If you're visiting, it's your first time here, you're new around here. I don't usually look at every Greek word in here, but man, some of them were so interesting this week. And and this one, the supply word right here. Paul says, look, here's the deal. I've heard about your faith. It's a good report, but I'm praying night and day to be able to come to you so that, and then he says, so that I can supply what is lacking in your faith. It's a really interesting word because it's a word that, that a surgeon would use for setting bones or a politician would use for reconciling factions or, and this is the one that, that mentally connected with me the best for whatever reason, for a fisherman repairing a net. He says, here's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that I can come and I can patch the holes in your faith to make it stronger. I'm praying that I can come and fix the errors in your faith so that, I, that it can be stronger and you can stand more firm and continue to face this pressure. I'm praying that I can come to you and I can, I can fill in the gaps where it's not right. I can heal what's broken in your faith. I'm, I'm praying that I can come to you so that I can help strengthen your faith. Here's what's kind of happened. This is, and this is a sad reality, but what's happened with, with Paul and this group of people is he gets this church off the ground, and then because of circumstances, he's forced out of town, and he can't get back to them. And so these are all baby Christians. They're new Christians. They don't even know what they don't know. And they're kind of left alone without any Christian leaders, without anybody there to teach them about the things of God, to show them how to live a godly life, to teach them the morality of God. And remember, there's no written document called the Bible. It's not like they're just going to pick up a New Testament and go, oh, here, because they're receiving a letter that is a part of the New Testament. And so they're there. This is so fascinating. They're there trying to stand firm without any of the tools to be strong in their faith. They're just clinging to, to the basic rudimentary teachings of the gospel that Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and he did it to save us from our sins. And the pressure's mounting, and Paul is like, I want to come because there's still, there's still gaps, there's still holes, there's still weaknesses in your faith. I want to come to you. But isn't it, isn't it a little humbling that we have such weak faith with so many resources? I mean, let's just talk about some of them. First of all, we live in a country where you can roll in here to church every single Sunday without the threat of violence or uh, arrest or persecution or anything like that. Not only do we have a church where you can roll in, or a country where you can roll into church on a Sunday, you can get together with other Christians any day of the week. You can sit at a Starbucks and talk about your faith as loudly as the people at the Starbucks in Wilsonville talk about their politics. And nobody is going 
to get mad at you. Well, they might get mad, but they're not going to say anything. But not only that, we live in a country where we have incredible access to the Bible. The things that Paul wanted to equip these people with, he equipped us with by leaving his letters for us as God led him to write these letters and other people were led by God to copy these letters so that they might be passed down and we might be able to hear them and then read them and then and now we can still read them but we can do it right on a little device that we all carry in our pockets. Paul is saying, I'm praying night and day to be able to tell these people some more stuff about the faith. And you have the words of Paul sitting in your pockets, on your phones. Our faith should be stronger than any time in the history of the world. I'll tell you, part of Paul's ministry was preaching. And one of the great things about the time in which we live is that you can listen to the greatest preaching anytime you want to. You just get on the internet, you, you can do a Google search, you can find the great pastors of history really, but of present day too, and you can find incredible Bible teaching without leaving the confines of your home. Our faith should be stronger than any time in the history of the world. But not only can you hear incredible sermons, you can take college classes on the Bible for free on the internet. This is amazing. You want to study a subject? Somebody has put it on the internet for you. You want to study why we should believe in the deity of Christ? You can get on the internet and learn about it. You want to learn more about the names of God? Somebody's posted a YouTube video. You want to learn how to study the Bible? There's people who have shown you how to do proper hermeneutics, how to study the Bible. You can find it right now. You could do it right now. It's so backwards. Like these people faced worse pressure than us. They had less resources than us, but they stood firm because they took seriously the strengthening of their faith. And we who live today, we don't stand firm. We have weak faith. All around this country, there is weak faith. And I think it's because we have not taken seriously the call to work at, to work on, to work out this thing called faith. I can tell you what happened, I think. I'm going to just give you a little bit of a history. There's this evangelical movement in, you know, early parts of my lifetime, and, and we really just... You know, in my church growing up days, it was all about helping people become Christians, and that was it. And then church kind of became this thing that we just want you to become a Christian, and then, you know, we kind of leave you there, and there's nothing after that. And and it seemed fine at the time because lots of people became Christians, and, and that's good. I'm very thankful for those kind of decades of Christianity. But I think where I sit today with people my age, in my age group, what happened is that we forgot that once we obtain a faith once we come into the faith the work isn't done we should be working on our faith once we have it and now man just the weakness of people's faiths compared to just some of the incredible stories of history and the sacrifices that people were willing to make and i don't know it's just different 
And so this is what I have for you this morning. This is just my thought. I mean, I'll say it again. The strength of your faith will determine the gracefulness of your life when pressure mounts. And, and, and the pressure's going to mount. And if you're going to live through the pressure, if you're going to deal with the pressure in a way that is godly and good, that is beautiful to the outside world as it is described in the book of 1 Peter, if you're going to live a beautiful life, then you have to take seriously strengthening your faith. How do you, how do you strengthen your faith? That's a, that's a hard question, right? And I don't know exactly what that looks like. I mean, we could do some of the basic stuff, like you should read your Bible, you should pray more. Uh, I would say this, you have to find others, as I've already said, to, to help you in your faith, to supply what you are lacking in your faith. You have to find other people like that. But overall, I, I just, I mean, for me, maybe, I don't know, like, this would make a terrible book, right? But I don't think there's a blueprint to strengthening your faith. I think it just takes effort all the time to be growing in your faith. I posted, um, I posted this on Facebook, and so if we're, if we're cool on Instagram or Facebook or social media, then you already know this, so forgive me. But I, I got to spend this week an hour at the Grotto, which is a Catholic prayer place in Portland, if you're unfamiliar with it. And I was part of a, a pastor cluster this last year, which was basically this little group of pastors that got together for a year, and, and we discussed biblical hospitality and, and kind of what that looked like in our own churches. Really good. But we decided we wanted to have one more you know, time together after it was over, so we got coffee, and then we went out to the grotto, and we separated, and we spent you know, an hour and 15 minutes uh, in quiet, in prayer, and in reflection. And it strengthened my faith. You know, there was, I, I couldn't tell you, like, hey, here's what I did, and this is why it was important. It was just something about getting away with God and saying, God, I'm going to think about all you've done for me. I'm going to reflect on it. I'm going to thank you for all you've done for me. I'm going to ask you, God, to keep strengthening me in my faith, to keep working on me, to keep helping me. I think the how is far less important than the desire. Because people who have a desire to strengthen their faith usually find ways to help God strengthen their faith. And so here's the call for this morning. Remember that the strength of our faith will determine the gracefulness of our lives when pressure mounts. But this morning what I ask from you is that you would be a person that makes a commitment to, to work, to fight, to strive, to struggle, to strengthen your own faith and to allow others to strengthen your faith too. Let me pray that you'll do that. Lord Jesus, I don't want us to be a church filled with people who are struggling to get their chins above the bar, Lord. I want us to be a church filled with people who can do levers, Lord, who can bear the weight of any pressure when it comes to their faith, Lord. I want us to be a church of of strong faith, of strong passion, of strong uh, trust, God, in you, what you did for us on the cross, what you are doing for us now, what you will do for us in eternity, Lord. I want us to be a church that trusts that and lives, God, in light of that. And so please, God, make us a church of strong faith, Lord. Lord, I love you and I thank you that you gave us such an incredible faith. 
I mean, that, that you've brought us not to believe in something, God, that is obscure or distant, but you've brought us to believe, God, in, in a God who would come out of heaven to die for our sins, who wants to have a relationship with us, Lord. That's something I want to be strong in believing and living in light of, Lord. And so I pray we would do that. I love you, Jesus. Strengthen our faith. I pray these things in your name. Amen.